you can lead, you can give examples, but ultimately you have to let people find themselves and find themselves in your organization or drawn to it or dequalifying themselves from your organization just because you're not in alignment. But I think it does start again with purpose, culture, and then actually execution. This is Lead with Culture. I'm Kate Volman, and on this episode, we're talking about leadership, culture, and strategy. I chatted with Justin Conoco, founder of Prime Brokerage and Prime Media Production. Justin helps motivated people find success in real estate and business. He founded the companies with his wife with the intent of turning the industry upside down and coming at things from a completely fresh perspective. He's partnered both from a business and personal level with leaders like Ryan Serhan from the Bravo show Million Dollar Listing, so he is privy to some interesting insights and industry tips and tricks. I always enjoy our conversations, and I hope you get a lot out of his insights on this episode. Enjoy. Culture to me is synonymous with purpose, right? I find that, especially my industry, I mean, we're in the real estate industry. We do a lot of media and creative. Both of those industries are very profit-driven, especially real estate. People look at real estate agents here like, you're just trying to sell me a house so you can make a commission. And then even on the media and the agency side, a lot of digital agencies are just built to maximize profits from the people that they're working with. When I got into the business, you know, the big thing for me was I was targeting being the most trusted name in real estate. And how do I do that? And I think it's really putting the people before the profits. But when I boil down, how do we actually reverse engineer that? It was, well, what's our daily purpose, right? And the purpose is the leading indicator of what the culture is going to be. So I think you have to start with purpose and then look at how that trickles down into your daily activities, which essentially becomes the culture of your organization. So when you're thinking about that, what does that look like? Tell me more about what are those daily activities? Yeah, well, I'll use you as a case study, right? So Kate, you don't know me and you're looking to relocate to Grand Bend, Ontario. So we're based in Southwestern Ontario, Canada. Grand Bend's a little beach town, beautiful lakefront. You want to buy a lakefront property. You got to budget up to $5 million right? You can call any agent that will work with you because that's a big, big commission check, right? You call me and you call three other agents. So you call those three other agents and the first one's just trying to push you into something, get you a deal. And he's got his own listing, but he's telling you that the listing that he has, that's $5 million. You can get it for three and a half. This guy needs to sell. He's super desperate, right? So your interaction with that gentleman may be like, okay, great. I can get a great deal on the property, but you're smart. And you're like, but I'll probably never use you to sell because you just threw your seller under the bus, right? So when I'm in that situation and you call me and I have a $5 million listing and you're like, hey, Justin, I've got a big budget. I want an amazing lakefront property. So you got that beautiful $5 million listing for sale. I'm going to go direct to you. I don't need a buyer agent because you're going to make double the commission, but I want the best price. What's that price? The answer you're going to get from me is I don't own the property, right? The list price is the list price. That's what the seller and I agreed upon. Here's why I think the value is there. I'm happy to show it to you. If it works, great. If it doesn't, let's find something else. That interaction is a perfect example of how we differentiate ourselves in the real estate industry is A, our ethics are not for sale. If I have a contract with that seller to a fiduciary level, which is like your doctor, your lawyer to represent their interests above my own, when somebody dangles the carrot of double commission, I don't even blink. Because I know that my purpose is do nothing out of selfish ambition, treat others better than yourself. And in that instance, I know I have to treat my seller better than I would treat myself. Now, I flip it to you as a buyer. 
I want you to work with me, right? Because if that property doesn't work for you, I want to sell you something else and build a relationship and have all your friends work with me as well. How I show that to you is A, through the ethics and how I treated my seller, because you may be like, well, I want Justin to treat me like that. But more than that, I'm going to also show you what it's like to work with me by giving you more value than you can find online. So that's a, a real life example of how I've taken the purpose of treating others better than I'll treat myself, trying to become the most trusted name in real estate through the actual actions of being a real estate agent and working with a buyer or a seller, right? But I think you have to look at your systems and when those decisions pop up and see if they're aligning with your purpose and culture. Because the flip side of that argument is there's organizations and cultures out there for that other avatar of the person that wants to work with the shady agent that doesn't care about ethics. And more power to them. I just don't want them in my organization. You're obviously building internal and external culture, right? I mean, you're building the culture of the companies and then people are, that's what you are known for. They know that when they come to Justin, they know what they're going to get. You're very transparent. You're very open. How are you building that culture so that the team members that you're bringing on board have that same philosophy, have that same dynamic with working with each other? So I think you really have to lead by example, right? So A, letting them see that action in practice and talking about case studies. So like we do a lot of training in-house, right? We do a weekly meeting as a collective. We typically do a monthly event as a team. And then we actually bring in clients and we bring in guest speakers. And we do that on a fairly regular basis so that we're pushing the culture through just engagement and collaboration. But I also think it's when you have the opportunity to guide those people. So like I get a lot of calls from my team. They're like, hey, this has never happened to me before. How do I handle that situation? And then I walk them through an example of how I handled it. The other way that I do it is by letting them fall on their face or letting them climb up a ladder on their own, right? So I remember I had one agent, Jamie Dodds, phenomenal commercial real estate agent, came to me from Ivy, actually he was a HBA did consulting in the aeronautics field. Very interesting guy. And we were working on a land deal. I got a call from a lawyer and that lawyer said, Hey, I think this lady's going to get hosed. All these people are giving her off market offers for her property. She has land near the new Amazon. Like, what do you think about this? And I saw the offers. I'm like, yeah, she's getting robbed blind. Like, I think we could probably bring three more people to the table, at least get her offer up a million or $2 million. Right? Like it off-market deals for sellers, usually if you're getting a price, you're getting a better price if you expose it to a bigger market. Jamie and I came in, explained to her what we thought the value was. We did a little bit of like a tender auction to a select group of people. Sure enough, offers came in significantly higher than she had. The original offer people were there, but three more groups came to the table. One of those groups came directly to us. That gentleman, I remember, called Jamie and basically said, hey, I'll give you X, $90,000 was the actual check, actually. He's like, I'll give you 90 grand if you just tell me what the number is I need to put on paper and bring my offer to the top. Fun fact, in Canada, if I disclose any information pertaining to another offer, I'm in the breach of code of ethics, right? We want to be the most trusted name in real estate. I watched Jamie to see how he would react. He told that guy, Put that dollar amount back into your offer. We can't disclose the price of the competing offers and, you know, I hope you win it, right? So he did something that would define the rest of his career by turning down a $90,000 check and putting it in the best interest of his seller. I love that because that's how you really build culture because I've had other people that are maybe no longer with the organization that I've seen things ethically that didn't line up with our morals. And I think you can lead, you can give examples, but ultimately you have to let people find themselves 
and find themselves in your organization or drawn to it or dequalifying themselves from your organization just because you're not in alignment. But I think it does start again with purpose, culture, and then actually execution. Yeah. Oh, what a great story. I love that. I mean, obviously, like everybody makes decisions and we have to see kind of the direction that our team members go. So when you're hiring, Justin, tell me about your hiring process in the sense of how are you hiring for culture to make sure that you're bringing people on that are the right fit that you feel like are actually going to live your values? It's a moving target. I was very chaotic previously. My hiring process was about 35 seconds long. I feel like <laughs> I can help everybody. Victor Addis is a great example of that. He's the condo king, right? Came to me. He was selling bikes for Louis Garneau. He was a high-end sales rep in the professional biker sphere. So he was managing multiple real retail locations, great network. He was a competitive cyclist. He was actually last year with Team Canada and Italy for the national. Amazing, like really, really very disciplined, driven guy. But, you know, came to me, we we're talking about his ambitions and he's telling me what he wanted to do in real estate. It was literally 35 seconds long. But yeah, come on in and we'll, we'll see if it works or not. Where that kind of bit me was, I found I did that over a number of years and I had people approach me in, in different capacities that wanted to be within the organization. And I didn't really have this discussion in terms of what are your core values? What is your purpose? And I've had people within the organization that maybe didn't understand what we were doing or, or don't think that say personal brand matters. If you don't think personal brand matters in the real estate field, you probably shouldn't be here because we put a lot of money into amplifying our agent's personal brand. And one agent and I, we just parted ways because he literally thought that. And I was like, no, that's totally fine. And we can be copacetic and we can be friends and we can do business together down the road. But I didn't have that conversation with him during the onboarding process about we want to be somewhere for high producing agents that are very well known for being trusted and being the best at what they do. We really had to put that in the front and center. So now, systemized it. So I have an intake form that's got a whole pile of questions that ask them about what matters to them, what they do outside of work, what their purpose, what they're lacking now, what they think about the real estate field, brokerages. And then what I do is I typically do a one-on-one -on -one with them where we sit down for 15 minutes and we just talk. And it feels good. Then I actually kick them off to my team and I have my team members have some conversations with them. And then my team members will come back to me and I'll ask my team members, do you think they're a good fit? And if my team members say no, then a lot of times I say, sorry, it doesn't work. And this all runs through my wife as well, too, who owns the company with me. So we have three or four different people looking into these folks to see if we think that they're in alignment. And then I guess the last piece is if they're in alignment with our culture and our core values, can we actually provide a platform for them that we aren't oversaturated in right now? Right. I've got four candidates that I'm looking at right now. We have a waiting list of 35, but out of the 35, four of them are on my radar that they could potentially be a good fit. Two of them probably won't be because in that asset class that they want to specialize in and what they've told me they want to do in their business, we have agents that can handle all the business that we have right now in those asset classes. So right now, I don't want to overpromise to them and say, yeah, come work with us in this capacity. We've got all this business when I want to make sure these guys are fed. But as we grow, I'll reach back out to them and say, hey, we have an opening. And if they found somewhere else, then so be it. But I think there's a few fail safes I put in place now that it's not a Victor meeting with 35 seconds. Yeah, sure. You start on Monday. I've kind of built a little bit more of a system around that. So you have 30 team members now. Does everyone work remotely? There's, yeah. So I have an office. I'm in it right now. 
We are prime headquarters. So this is based in London, Ontario. We have a myriad of different people. So like actually independent agents, right? The guys that are just sales representatives that you would look at and be like, oh, that's a real estate agent. There's about 24 of those. Then we have our salaried employees. Then we have people that are in the production space. We have our creative director. And then we have other partners that we work with that are in the media and the agency space. So not everyone is in the office though. No, people work remotely, right? Like a lot of people like the freedom of like being able to do deals while they're in Australia traveling. Like we're built for that lifestyle where my wife and I like to travel. I do deals in my motorhome while I'm like at a provincial park and you know, we're built for that world. So the hub is great. This is the clubhouse. It's great to collaborate, do events, do stuff in person. But you know, if you were working with me, Kate, and you're like, hey, I'm going to be traveling for a month. I can't be there. We do a lot of stuff in the cloud, right? So we're as much a virtual brokerage as anybody else. Uh, we use Google Workspace as our back end. We do our red zone meetings in Google Meets on a daily basis. We do our town halls. I'm here, but we also do it virtually. So if you're virtual, you can come into the town hall and still feel like you're part of the culture. So that's what I want to dig into a little bit because the workforce now is a most people are now getting used to this either remote or it's hybrid or, you know, everyone's kind of trying to figure it out. A lot of leaders are figuring, well, if I had this space, should sure. I bring people back? What should I be doing? And there's kind of an argument of both sides, right? Some people say you you can only build a culture if you get together and you're face to face and you can shake hands. But obviously more and more people are saying, no, that's not necessary. But if you are building a remote workforce, you do have to be very intentional about the culture and making sure that people are on board with it. So how have you navigated that space as you're building and growing? I ask questions instead of just assuming. So during our one-on-ones, one of the questions I've been asking everybody is like, okay, we have our core team, transaction coordination, marketing coordination. We want to be the world-class. So like, where do you think we rank one out of 10 on transaction coordination? Do you have a clear picture of how to process transactions at Prime? And do you have the support that you need to get you out of the weeds and doing less of what you don't want to do or what you want to do? Marketing communication support. Do you feel like it's streamlined enough and you have clarity around how that works? What else do you want? The last question that I ask is like, okay, for both of those, how much does it matter you to have people in office? Because we've done both. Like we've had tons of people actually working in and out of the office and we've had everybody virtual. And we're actually looking at the two of those and saying like, how much does that matter to you versus using this space as like inspiration and collaboration? We close a ton of business here because it's a beautiful office and it's top end for real estate. Like usually real estate offices are in like some retail plaza next to uh, subways. Right. When people come here, this is a place of business. So I think the bricks and mortar are extremely valuable. I think more people will return to in office over the next five years. I get virtual. I understand the trends. But in the commercial real estate world, I bet you return to office within the next three to five years becomes much more prevalent because we have kids at home. We know what that's like. And when you're in the office, you work. But from an employee perspective, People have challenges, right? Especially in the last year. And I think people are going from being task managed employees that work for a boss to being a little bit more independent where people that are incredible transaction coordinators kill it for you on a work perspective, but can have some of that freedom and flexibility to as long as they're doing their job, work within your ecosystem, how it inspires them too. So if they have a side hustle and I don't know if they, they want to do basket weaving and sell baskets on eBay or start YouTube, like they can be more than just a employee. I think even creatives, like having the ability to work with independent contractors, no different than real estate agents that we choose to partner. 
we don't need each other, but we're better together than we are apart. That is very much how we're thinking about the future where I don't want to handcuff or hold hostage employees. I want to partner with people that are really good at what they do. They want to contribute to the ecosystem. They want to work with us, but I don't want employees. I want partners, right? So I think I do think there's going to be this flux of tasting and testing what that looks like and working with people that as long as they're killing it and providing world-class service, they can do whatever they want. But I am auditing my staff in terms of like, how much does having somebody sitting here for nine hours a day mean to you? Because if we need to solve for that, we can as well. But I think it starts, Kate, with asking the questions, taking in the data, and then making a decision based on their needs. Yeah. Questions. What a concept to actually asking people what it is that they want and need and how they work. What is one of the biggest challenges that you have faced over the past year? Well, I think from a real estate perspective, the market correction was one of the biggest we've seen since I got in the business. But I think coupled with that is we're in a global adjustment, right? If you look at all industries, all creators monetizations down 30%, venture capital down 30%, real estate down 30%, auto sales down 30%. I think the biggest challenge is like, how do you readjust during a global adjustment and then support the people around you? while maintaining course correction on the ship. We did an exceptional job, I think, as a collective. We surpassed our numbers from the year before where everybody else was down. But I think my biggest challenge was being in the weeds, micromanaging too much while doing all of that. So we've really put a lot of work into the SOPs and automations and project management tools like Asana. We've worked with consultants. Like We've spent about six months automating and minimizing all of my checklists that were far too detailed. And I was worrying about every little thing so that I could focus on the big picture items. But we're coming out of it now and we have a very clear picture of where we're going. And now we're, like I said to you earlier, as much as I'd love to write a book and do all kinds of other stuff, I'm like blinders on, 100% focused on not being a speaker or a coach or any of that stuff because that's just not what I do. But being the CEO of Prime Real Estate and making sure our systems and our foundation is better than ever. And I'm actually working for 2024, 2025 right now. So getting kind of out of the weeds and into the CEO role has been super important. That is so important as a leader in today's world where there is, we just have so much opportunity, right? I mean, you could go in all these different directions and to be able to stay focused as much as you are in what you're doing. And you're very intentional about the work that you do. So when you think about, and you We'll link in the show notes Justin's YouTube channel because he has a phenomenal YouTube channel and he shares so many incredible things, not just on real estate, but entrepreneurship. And you're always going live on YouTube, just sharing screen shares about how to use your CRM and how to be more productive. Incredible stuff that you're always sharing. And I always love, I always tell you, I'm like, you're like so strategic in your day, in your week. And I would love for you to just share how do you stay focused in this world where a lot of CEOs, a lot of leaders, we get that shiny object. We get that, yeah. oh, we could create courses and we could write this book and we could get on more stages, but we have to pick the thing and focus on it for a year and think about the next three to five years. How would you recommend people do that, especially when they're just getting caught up in, in really in the weeds? For myself, I think it's routines, right? I think routine is the, one of the most powerful things you could do. And it starts with my calendar and my time blocking and looking at every single week, what am I deploying my, my energy and my attention against? I always thought time was my most valuable asset, but it's actually my attention. Because if I'm making time for something, that's one thing. But if I'm making time for that thing and my attention is drawn somewhere else, 
that's where my resources are actually getting deployed, right? And like everything you just said sounds fantastic in execution, but like I'm the worst out of everybody, which is why I put so much effort into it. I know that left to my own devices, I'm doing a whole lot of everything, but a whole lot of nothing, right? So for myself, I think it starts with my big five Fs, which are my faith, my family, my fitness, my fun, my finances. And what I do is once a year, I actually write down the five Fs and I write down what do I want to accomplish in those five categories. And then I break it down by year, by quarter, by month, by week, by day. And I look at like, if I want to move my faith forward, what do I do in a year? Maybe it's just one big event that I go to. Then what do I do monthly? Then what do I do daily? Daily, I, I want to read my Bible and I want to pray before I go to bed. And then I think about all the other aspects of my life, my fitness, my fun, my family, my finances, right? And I actually map it out. And then I look at my calendar. I'm like, I got 24 hours in a day. If I take care of my faith, my heart's right with God, then I can take care of my family. If I'm in a good spot with my wife and daughter, I'm not distracted. Take care of my fitness. If I'm in great shape and I'm eating well, my energy level's high, then I can go have fun. I can go fly fishing. If I fly fish, then I'm super happy. I can go to work and I cannot resent my work for stopping me from doing the things that I love, which is most people's lives. They work, 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 but they resent the work because it stops them from living the life. They go home, their wife is mad at them because they're not getting attention. They're eating crappy food because they're not putting time into their fitness and it's a vicious cycle. So I kind of reverse the cycle. And then what I do personally that helps, and I have lots of videos about how I do this on my YouTube, 15 minutes in the morning to half an hour, 15 minutes a night, mind sweep everything in my brain on paper. And then I map it out and I organize it. And then I look at my calendar. And I think biggest tip I can give people of how I stay consistent is that routine. It's the night before that's the most important. The morning's actually easy because if you did it the night before, it only takes 15 minutes in the morning to resort it. But then when you wake up, don't touch your cell phone. I get into prayer and mindfulness. I journal, I move before I touch my phone. I'll have Clubhouse playing in the background because people like you are running great segments and everything else, but it's very intentional versus the life that we both know exists that I fall into time and time again, right? First thing I do is I grab my phone, I scroll, scroll, scroll. I'm getting all this intake and energy and I just, I start the day falling forward, right? So in order for me to stand tall, I have to make sure that I have a routine and structure and do my best to stick to it. But for everybody watching this, I hit it maybe 60 to 70% of the time. I'm far from perfect, right? But because I do it consistently, my 60 to 70% makes me better than 95% of the world because most people have a plan. Their plan is just not having a plan. So that's how I do it. <laughs> Their plan is not having a plan. That is true. Yeah, it's kind of like habits, right? Everyone has habits. Yeah. They just are either good or bad. For they sure. either serve you or don't serve you. Okay, so your focus is being the best CEO. What does that look like to you? Well, I think for this year, it means being the best real estate agent on the planet and then compartmentalizing each of the items that make me the best real estate agent on the planet and then bringing that to the fold, right? Follow-up, marketing, advertising, sales, using Prime. Actually, I'm trying to turn Prime into almost like a digital agency for real estate more than a brokerage. So that everything that's in my brain of how can we reposition sites, how can we get energy behind sales? And then as I implement and try stuff and find stuff that works, I always try and bring it to the house and then give it to my team so that they can do the same for their people. Because like when Kate sees the Prime logo, I want it to be like the Nike swoosh on an athlete. You're like, oh, he's got that contract because he's the best. So that's where it starts. It actually starts with me with my shovel getting back into production and being the number one agent on the planet. 
and then bringing all of that information back to the company and systemizing it. What are the biggest mistakes that you see leaders make today? They believe their own hype. They get a, a little onus of success or people start telling them that they're great and they believe it and they stop learning. I think that's the second piece is they're not constantly learning. They're not willing to have tough conversations. I think they get their emotions attached to the result or the outcome. You know, I had that discussion about the agent that I parted ways with recently, and I've been working on that with him since November. He was not the right fit for our culture, doesn't believe personal branding matters for agents. I could worry about that and be like, oh no, people are going to think he went to another brokerage. Or I could be like, this is the best thing ever because we're getting close to who the right avatar is of the people that need to be here. And it's interesting because my relationship with him is probably better than ever. His brother built great properties. We're going to do lots of business together. The offboarding meeting was probably the best one I ever had. I said, if you need help, you call me. Like I'm here for you as a friend, because if my friendship was only reliant on the business, I wasn't really your friend. And I think a lot of business owners, the biggest mistakes that they make is they get very emotional about business and it trickles into their personal life and it affects their personal relationships. So in Matthew Kelly's book, The Culture Solution, he talks about managerial courage. And really, it's being courageous enough to have difficult conversations with team members. So mm -hmm. how do you approach difficult conversations with some of the team members that you've had right now or in the past that maybe you've had to let go? Yeah, I'm probably the worst at this because I want everybody to like me and I, I don't like having difficult <laughs> conversations. But you know, I think one, it's realizing how I communicate. So I've said to some people over the last couple of years, just so you know, when we're in the thick of it, understand that I'm very directional about my communication and I may not be taking your feelings into account. I'm just trying to solve for X. And my wife actually helps balance me out a lot with that. I spoke to one of my agents and we had had a conversation about a year ago and I never even thought again about the conversation because I assumed that they knew where my heart was at and like why we had that conversation. When we had a follow-up kind of year in review with that agent, there was a couple of things that were brought up about how I communicated that and some assumptions that were made about how I interpreted a situation. Like it almost like it was a negative thing. And I was like, I'm so sorry if I wasn't able to communicate that effectively. And my wife was there with me. She's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I live with him. And I know that sometimes it's just how his brain works. It's, I, I'm very much in the guard, guide, govern mentality where like, I want to protect the herd. I assume everybody knows where my heart is at. And that truthfully, I do care about them probably more than they care about themselves in some instances. But I also have to recognize that a lot of these people don't know me, know me. And it, it's a relationship building process. So I think what I found is making them feel safe to communicate that with me and making it a net positive and not getting emotional has really helped develop some relationships that like I trust, trust these people. And if something happens that shows me that maybe that trust was misplaced, again, not being attached to the outcome, it doesn't affect me because I know I'm focused on what we talked about at the beginning, the purpose. Oh, it can be hard. I feel like it's definitely a skill and we have to lean into it. It's never comfortable, but the more that you do it, the better you get. <laughs> well, think about this, right? I said this to an agent, something came up on a file and he called me. I'm like, this is a two out of 10. And he's like, really? It sounds like a huge deal. I'm like, trust me. I'm like, from what I've seen, this is a two out of 10. And I'm like, anything hard you go through now, even UK, like anything that seems tough today in five years is going to be a nothing burger, right? Mm -hmm. If you're growing, like it really, even when you're in it, it seems like it is the end of the world. But so did the relationship that didn't work out when you were 14, right? And like, you'd laugh at yourself now if you look back and you're like, man, that was my world. I loved him so much. And you're like, really? As an adult, we look back on our kids and we're like, oh, you'll learn. 
But the people that are 70, 80, 90 are looking at us, you and I right now, and they're like, oh, you'll learn. So I think it's all in perspective. Oh, that's so good. Yes, it's so true. When you're in the moment and dealing with any kind of difficult challenge with a team member or dealing with your business or lost a big project or client or whatever it is, man, it is it can consume your mind. And mm. this is why it's this is why the mindset is so important. Like you talked about, you have to continue to grow. I mean, every single day we are in communities very growth mindset. Sure. We've got to continue to do that so that we're able to handle those situations, not only from experience, but also just remembering it's all in our mind. It's all perspective. And man, it can be hard. It can be hard to remember that when you're so in it and you have like all the feelings. It's supposed to be hard though, right? Like the refiner's fire that burns away the chaff is not comfortable. Never have I met anybody I respect that didn't go through really tough times and then come out better for it. I've seen people that have ran from challenges before because that challenge maybe put them in a position where they were worried, well, how's the world going to look at me? I don't want to be a part of this, stick my head in the sand, run away. I think the biggest thing that I've learned is being released. I know whose I am. I know how God feels about me regardless of what man does. So I'm 100% not attached to the outcome because I'm not taking a U-Haul to my grave. I've never seen anybody that at their funeral were talking about everything that they had. I think it really comes down to separating yourself from other people's narratives and what the world is telling you is success. And it's that self-mastery. And this is Rob Deerdick is a guy that actually blows my mind because he's really proved it in his life. I started listening to his podcast and really it's just about that self-mastery, right? And it's about getting better and becoming a multifunction human being that can execute, amplify, and bring light to the world versus negativity, right? And I happen to be doing that in the real estate and say the media space, but you're doing it in your space. And we want to get around other people that are doing it in their space. And I think the more you get around those types of people, the easier it becomes when we realize that we all have struggles. And what you just described, and it is hard, doesn't seem so hard when you bring it to the table and Ramon Ray jumps in and is like, oh, I got fired from the UN. What are you talking about? <laughs> like I fired a, a client that was 155 homes. I just fired them, $900,000 homes, 155 of them because their internal culture was affecting mine. But I think you have to f- figure that out with a good collective and community of people. Wow. And how did you make that decision? It was very easy. There was one trigger that really, they did something to one of my staff members. My staff member was super upset about it. She felt completely mistrusted in the way the situation happened. There was a few things that happened prior to that, like that I won't get into just for the purposes of, I don't talk about people in a negative light at all, but they showed me how their internal culture operated. I reached out to the developer and we're still friends with their family, got no issues with them whatsoever. But I messaged her and I said, hey, unless you're willing to fire internal sales team and give me control of the marketing and pricing, I can't continue. Because I said, your internal culture is affecting mine and I can't allow that. And we parted ways and it was totally fine. And that is a testament to how much you care about your culture. That is a beautiful example. It's like the example of a company that has the the rainmaker salesperson that's super toxic and we don't want to let them go because Gone. you know you got to get rid of them yes yeah, for sure it's the worst thing in the world if you get a cancer in your environment there was one gentleman that was terminated a long long time ago and it actually stemmed from the scarcity mindset of wanting something that didn't belong to him and a couple of things that popped up and I, I think again not a bad guy at all super 
super friendly. We get along to this day, but I think there's an organization out there for him and a culture for him, or maybe he wants that competitive environment and that I'm going to take care of me. You take care of you. That's totally okay. There's a ton of brokerages out there that do that. Just not here, but it, it takes, it takes time to figure that out. Yeah. So you were talking about people in their seventies and eighties that are looking at us and I'm, and I started thinking about coaching, right? It's coaching. We, need coaches. We get to coach people. We have mentors. I know you are someone who appreciates mentors and you have some very influential mentors in your life. Talk about leadership and the importance of having mentors to help you grow. Yeah. I think when I was left to my own devices, looking for ways of how to do things was very difficult because I was always looking into new areas, right? And Blue Ocean Shift is a great book. I'd look to other industries and be like, okay, how can I apply this to real estate? When we got into real estate, we didn't want to do it the typical way that it's done. We really wanted to market differently and build our community and systems completely different. But what I found was there just wasn't enough for me here. So when I look at mentors and mentorship, what I started realizing was looking at people that are doing things that you want to do or practitioners in their craft and then being inspired by them, A, is one of the best ways to find mentors. I got lots of mentors that don't even know who I am. I just consume all their content. I think they're doing great stuff. I support them and maybe they haven't been on my podcast yet. They probably will one day but they're in my ecosystem. Then how you show up with those people for a length of time can put you in a position where they can become a physical real life mentor, right? So like Scott McGilvery is a good example of it. I worked his investment summits for years along with hundreds of other people, but you know, always given his team critical feedback on like, hey, this is what I got from the last summit, from this one, this is our systems, I think you should do this and going back and forth, building relations with the teams. And then constantly pouring into their organization and trying to give them value and them giving us got us into a place where when they launched the McGill remark and started doing some other stuff, we developed a personal relationship because he was able to see over the years, us building our organization, just like they were building theirs, right? Quite often mentors or people that I work with now, they watch you. And I don't think if people realize that, I think people want to get around a guy like Scott for the photo op when in reality, the way to get around a guy like Scott is to become a practitioner and do something that he finds interesting, right? The other mentor I like to mention, because people will know him, and I don't like name dropping, but Ryan Surhan is a guy that I developed a great relationship with. The way I did that, I've talked about many, many times. It wasn't sending him a whole bunch of money or just showing up at his office and asking for the photo op. That's what most people do wrong with Ryan. People call me to get into the coaching programs, the pro mentorship, and they're like, hey, what is this going to do for me? I'm like, well, it's not for everybody, right? But let me tell you my story. So when I met Ryan, it was 2018. A friend of mine actually was like, hey, I just did a podcast with him. You should meet him. I'm like, what's he going to teach me? He's in Manhattan. Looks like a cheese ball. He's on million dollar listing. Like <laughs> the persona that they made of him was just this very egotistical guy, right? And my buddy Jazz was like, no, no, like he's very much like us. Like he's a practitioner. He's building something. So I went down, met Ryan shot the podcast. I actually just dropped that on my YouTube channel. So that 2018 meeting, I never released it. I just released two weeks ago. So you can watch the replay. And we just chopped it up. And he's like, talked about life, talked about building a team, how he gets into developments. I'm like, this guy's an actual practitioner. So I remember being in a cab on the way back and I still have the email. I cold email him. I'm like, hey, can I just meet with you once a year? I'll pay you whatever you want just for that meeting, right? I like wanted the mentorship. And he said, no. He's like, I don't do that. I am building a team, blah, 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 but come, come by the office anytime, right? Let me know when you're in Soho. And I'm like, well, that speaks to your character. But I kept up with it. 
So then I thought about the meeting I had with Jenna Les and she was like, well, we talk about systems and so on and so forth. I remember copy and pasting my SOPs and just sending them to her. Be like, here's how we do it. Here's our drip campaigns, blah, blah, blah. Time went by and we kept collaborating and doing different things. I had Dean Kane do a cameo, the guy who played Superman, and be like, hey, you need to talk to Justin Gonico. You need to mentor him. Like I was just doing the most random stuff. Right? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. But I got his attention. And then eventually Kyle Scott, CEO of Sirhan Ventures, like, hey, we built something. We kind of want to test it out. So I was like one of the inception babies for the courses. But then what I did was every time I met with him every year, I'd bring him a complex problem. He would give me feedback. I would go do it. And then I'd come back and like, okay, so I did that. Now I'm doing this. And that's what I tell everybody is like really to get close and build relationships with somebody like Ryan. Now we're friends, friends. Like he's a mentor, mentor versus just part of something initially that I'm part of one of 15,000 people. It was, I think, bringing him complex problems and realizing he likes solving them and then implementing it and be like, oh, this guy's not wasting my time. Like he's actually doing something that's pretty cool. What could I learn from him and the collaboration with his team and the back end? So from a mentorship perspective, for anybody watching this, pick your Ryan Serhane and get in their ecosystem, but don't expect them to just turn around and give you an hour of their time. You're not going to get their cell phone number, but get in their ecosystem. And it might take two, three, five, six, eight, ten 10 years, but so what if you're actually committed to the process and you actually care about that person it should take that long especially if you're in it for the long run but if you're just in it for the photo op don't even waste your time just call cameo and have them do a little shout out for you <laughs> if you want that <laughs> speaking of how did you decide on dean kane of all people no idea i was probably just <laughs> randomly scrolling and he was 50 bucks i think or 100 bucks i forget what it was it was awesome though i think that, i still have the video probably oh somewhere. my gosh that is so funny <laughs> all right well one last thing, because of course I have to mention this sure. because we are home of the certified dream managers at Floyd Coaching. And right before we jumped on this call, you were talking about how when you meet with your team, you're asking them about their dreams. Why is that important to know the dreams of the people that are working with you? Because I care about them. Like it's easy for me to say that, especially in a business where sometimes people don't think anybody cares about them, that they need to worry about themselves. But the reason is when I got in the business, I didn't have that, right? Like I did feel very alone. My wife was incredibly supportive and obviously my partner, but we felt like we didn't have that leadership, right? Or somebody that saw more in me than I saw in myself. And actually my wife was the one that probably saw more in me than I saw in myself. And I see more in every person that's here than they probably see in themselves. And I think ultimately the high, high end purpose is God sees what he sees in me and I want to be that light in their lives so that they can see what he did for me. So ultimately, that's why I ask the questions because I want to know because it's easy for me to assume, well, you should be doing this because I know this will make you successful. Like, what do you want to do? Maybe you only want to sell 26 houses a year and you want to travel and you want to build a referral business and a team business. It's cool. Like we can do that. But I think if you don't ask the questions and you don't know what they actually want, how could you possibly be of service to those people? Yes. Yes. Care about people. All right. You are awesome, Justin. What is one activity or piece of advice that you would share to leaders that are really focused this year, putting making culture a priority, and they just need a place to start, something to really help kind of shift their mindset to creating a, cult, a great culture with their team? I think core values. Write down three to five core values that matter to you. I think the people that I want here 
are people that are driven, ethical, have intelligence and integrity. Those are my four core values. If you don't line up with those, you're probably going to self-select out or we will self-select you out. Perfect. Yes. I love the clarity. You have so much clarity around what you're looking for and how you lead, which is really helpful. I mean, people, we need that. When we do uh, presentations, we'll sometimes ask what qualities they really admire in a leader. And what always shows up so much is people are tough but fair. Great leaders are tough but fair. People want to grow. We really do want to grow and you have to push them into that growth. And you're creating a great team over there. So thank you for taking some time to chat with us today. I so appreciate you and everything that you're doing. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Just go to my YouTube page. Probably the best place if you want to kind of get inside my brain. It's just stream of consciousness. It's chaotic, <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff there. JustinConical.com slash resources for PDFs and my mailing lists and my weekly newsletter. So I appreciate you, Kate. Great show. And I'm always there for your segments on Clubhouse. So I'm oh, sure yeah. I will see you on a weekly basis. Absolutely. And for those that are going to go over to your YouTube channel, do you have a favorite video that you feel like is like a good intro to Justin? There's such a big mix of videos. Like there's stuff about content creation. They're setting up your CRM. My daily routine is probably the best one if you want like an idea of what that routine looks like. So go watch that one. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope there was at least one idea from today's conversation that sparked your interest enough to take action to help you on your journey to developing yourself and your team. If you are interested in discovering how your team would rate your company's culture today, we created a really helpful resource. It's our free culture assessment. It'll only take about five minutes to take and you'll receive a customized report which includes your overall culture score as well as your score in each of the six immutable principles of a dynamic culture from Matthew Kelly's book, The Culture Solution. You can get it at floydconsulting.com slash culture. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, lead with culture. <laughs>